You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We're going to go ahead and begin where we left off last week in verse 17 of Romans chapter 4. Again, most of you know by now, um, we are, we always have some new folks, so we are talking about plugging into grace. We're talking about the relationship between grace and faith, two really important principles that we need to understand and how it is by faith that we plug into the flow that comes to us of God's life, God's blessing, God's favor. Everything that he sends to us comes by grace and is received by faith. So we've laid tons of foundation on that that you can pick up. I had somebody from out of state just last week um, say they'd, you know, they'd heard uh, last week's message and said, I'm going to go back and pick up the rest of those. So they're always there. Uh, go to our website. You can always find those earlier teachings. So we spent some time in Romans chapter 4 talking about Abraham, talking about uh, his faith and the way that it worked. And I'm just going to begin again here in, in uh, Romans 4.17, and I really want to get to the next verse. We only have a short time this morning. So uh, Romans 4.17 from the Amplified Bible says, As it is written, I, God, have made you, Abraham, the father of many nations. He was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and speaks of the non-existent things that he, God, has foretold and promised as if they already existed. Now, there's an awful lot in that verse. But last week, we talked about the beginning of that verse where it says that he, Abraham, was appointed by God. And that word appointed is translated from a little Greek word, tithemi, which is T-I-T-H-E-M-I, for those of you who are taking notes, tithemi. Uh, He was appointed by God to do and to be something that was completely impossible. And there was absolutely no physical evidence that it could possibly happen. All right. When God said it, there was, we all know the story, or, or maybe you don't, but you can look it up. But Abraham was 75 years old. God tells him, you're going to start fathering children. All right, his, his wife was past childbearing years. You two are going to start fathering children. And out of those children, the whole world will be blessed. Out of your line, the whole world will be blessed. And we know that that line came down to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when God said it, it was absolutely impossible. There, there was not only no physical evidence that it could be, there was lots of physical evidence that it couldn't be. And actually the Bible, and we'll see it later uh, in this chapter, a couple verses down, it's actually really graphic if you read the original language. And it's, it, it is a picture of Abraham looking down at his own body and considering his own impotence. It's literally what the scripture says. He stood there, he looked down, he looked at what wasn't working anymore and said, God, how is this going to happen? You know, and, and so anyway, he, but he was called of God. And this word, tithemi, I have made you or I have appointed you. It means to establish or set in place something with great care and with precision. All right. It, it is, this word shows God's value for what he says and what he calls us to. It shows his value for us. God chose Abraham and he set him in a specific 
position carefully, with care, with forethought, with precision. He called this man into something that was absolutely impossible. God always looks at the heart. God doesn't look at the physical. He's not worried about making the physical being work again, okay? He's not worried about changing circumstances. He set this man in place with great care and precision, and that says something to us about value. And we talked about the fact that a lot of times when we have something of value, we'll set it in a place of, with care. We'll set it in an evident place. We'll set it someplace where it's not going to get broken. It's not going to get ruined. You know, we will take that kind of care with it. We talked about the fact that when we go into somebody else's home and we see the care with which they have set something up in their home, that speaks to us of the value they place on it. Many times we honor whatever that is, whether we really engage with it or not. You know, I use the example of somebody might have a a baseball that they caught at a big game, you know, and to me, that means absolutely nothing. But I can walk into their home and see, boy, that meant a lot to them. That's a great moment in their life. We honor what someone else has honored. We value what someone else has valued. And as far as us as believers, God has deposited with this same word is used about God setting people in the body with care and precision over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. All right, he sets us in place. And that doesn't just mean he plunks you down in a church. I do believe God calls us to a local body, but it doesn't just mean that. It means he, he shapes you for it. He, he puts gifts in you that are appropriate to where he places you in the body. And the scripture tells us over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, just listen to this. Well, you can turn there if you'd like, but we're not going to spend much time here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, So from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view or according to worldly standards and values. Though we have known Christ from a human point of view, now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is how we view people. Anyone is in Christ, engrafted in, joined to him by faith, He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. So in other words, we are told in the scripture, we don't view one another anymore after just the physical being. We don't emphasize one another's mistakes and shortcomings and weaknesses We all have them, and we all always will have them. Instead, we choose and strive to view one another after the Spirit, to look at one another the way God looks at at other people, all right? To view their gifts, to view who they are, to see the preciousness and the value that God has set on them, all right? So, So this scripture the way that it is written, that it, it means God set Abraham in a proper and fitting place or a, a place or role for which he was designed. And the same word is used of us. And so God's value is revealed in really in these three ways, okay, in this. First of all, and when we're looking at other people, this is what we need to keep in mind. Number one, God paid an enormous, unimaginable price for every one of us. 
that shows God's value. How much did God value you? Well, he valued you as much as his son. Okay? That it demonstrates God's value for that person. And when we're interacting with a person that needs to be at the forefront of our thinking, this person is valuable in God's sight. All right? Secondly, the fact that he carefully designed us for setting us in place. The fact that every one of us is a unique design and gift mix that God chose and then ignited as we gave our life to Jesus Christ. Okay? That, that very fact that something was designed for a specific role. Every one of us are designed for a role in this age, in this generation, in this situation for, for the increase of his kingdom. Every one of us are designed for that. Well, that shows value. People don't go to the trouble to design something carefully for a purpose that they have no value for. Okay, does that make sense to you? All right. And then finally, the preparation that God has done. This word tithemi also speaks of preparation. That God, God prepares things ahead of time for every one of us in the places that he calls us and the rules he sets us in, God makes preparation for our, I don't have a better word than success. It's a weak word for this, but as far as what we do in the kingdom, who God's called us to be, God has prepared you for success. He has prepared for your success. He has prepared his word for you. He's prepared his spirit for you. He has prepared, he has set people around you to encourage you into what he has called you to be and to do. He has, he has made preparation for you. Um, well, let's just move on. Let's look at a little bit more here. We're going we're gonna to dive into that in just a moment. So the last part of this verse says, he was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And I want you to know this morning that what you are in God's sight, okay, he appointed him as the father of many nations. He, was, he became the father of many nations in the sight of God. That tells me a couple things. Tells me that the moment God declared that over Abraham, God never changed his, minds, his mind. In, in God's sight, Abraham, from that moment, was the father of many nations. Does that make sense to you? What we are in God's sight is what we absolutely can be, can become, even when there's no physical evidence today. What God has said about you and I, and there are things he's said about every one of us. He said, you're a child of God. He said, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. He has declared your health and wholeness. He has declared so many, as we look at the promises of God, they extend to every area of life. He has said that what you set your hand to do will prosper. He has, I mean, we could go through the list for days of promises. Scholars tell us there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. What he has said about you, what he has declared you to be is what you are in his sight and what you are in his sight is what you absolutely can be. So there's no place in our life for deciding, well, God said that, but it just can't happen. I know we feel that way sometimes, but we've got to get our thinking in line with his. We've got to turn that around in our own minds and realize that if God has declared it, he will make it good. He will do it. So what we are in his sight is what is made possible through grace, even if there's no evidence today. So 
you can apply that to a specific situation. What God has said about a certain situation, you can apply that to a, a struggle maybe in your own life. You can apply that to a, a, a vision, a dream that you have for your life, your family, your community, your church, whatever it might be. If God has said it, he will make it good. And if he has declared it, if it is when he declares it, that is what it is in his sight. And he isn't going to change his mind. All right. So we just need, if we don't have that, if we're hopeless about something, we need to come and just spend the time with God to get his vision restored in our hearts. And I, I'm telling you, I don't think there's any limit to the number of times we can do that. Okay. I was working on those emails a couple weeks ago and, and the email program that uh, Annie set up, it has a feature where you can, um, I was trying to change something and it has a feature where you can preview um, you can send one to yourself so I was doing that and I kept not working and she straightened me out on why but anyway it kept not working I kept getting away well it only lets you do so many it only lets you look so many times I didn't know that until they cut me off okay when we're going to God for restored vision there's no limit there doesn't seem to be a limit on how many, as long as our, our hearts are engaged, as, as long as we are um, honest in our desire, God, renew my vision for this. Lord, I, I'm feeling hopeless about this. You know where my heart is. There's no point in me telling you I have hope when I don't. Because <laughs> you already know, and you're on my side. And so, Lord, but speak that word to me again. Show me that again. If you have to do it when I'm asleep and my emotions aren't running so strong, then please do it then. Whatever you need to do, restore this in me. Seems to me, from my experience, that we can go over and over and over. And he never gets tired of encouraging us. As long as we're coming in faith. You know, it's one thing if we're just rejecting it. But, but if we're coming in faith, he seems to be good. He's faithful. I guess it just means he's faithful, right? So... The reason that we are what God says we are is because he is faithful. Turn with me if you would. I'm going to read this, but turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse, uh, begin with verse 29 here. I don't want that. How come every, every icon is blue and white? For color-oriented people, that becomes a problem. Oh, this never updated. Okay, hang on. I'm getting there. Romans chapter 8. I have another way in there. Verse 29. Let's just read these verses. These are just encouraging verses. It, it says, For those who God foreknew, and that word foreknew means he knows the choices we're going to make. He knows who we are. He knows what he created us for. He, he foreknew us. It, the scripture tells us he knew us before we were ever formed in the womb, right? He already had a plan for our life before we were ever formed in our mother's womb. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I'll just comment on this. Predestination is one of those ideas that there's a huge, I, I don't know why it's this way, but there's a huge segment of Christianity that has gotten that idea twisted around to think that the word predestined means that God, whatever God decided, he'll make it happen, whether you like it or not. He will make it happen in your life. And if he decided, in fact, there are people that believe that, if he decided ahead of time that you would be one who would be saved, then you will. doesn't matter if you want to be or not. doesn't matter if you follow him. He predestined that you will be saved. There are, there, they also believe 
that no matter how badly you want to be saved, if you were not chosen ahead of time, you're not going to be saved. You can pursue God all you want. So that's the extreme end of this. But many people believe that predestined means God's going to make it happen and you really have no choice about it. That is not what the word even means. The word means he made all the preparations. He set everything in place for you to be able to come and enjoy and be involved in and be what he has called you to be. He made the preparations. He set everything up so that you could come and you could have that experience, but you still have a choice. He didn't take that away. So anyway, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Wow. That he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. That word means it's a combination of an invitation and a summons. That's what it means. Okay, so it's an invitation, but there's some weight to it. Okay, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. All right, that means to declare innocent, to give a legal, because of the blood of Jesus, to declare you not guilty, to declare you in right standing with him. It's a legal term. Those he justified, he also glorified. Glorified means that he put his spirit on the inside of us, that he, glory speaks of the weight of God's presence in something. It speaks of the divine essence, the very essence of what makes something what it is. All right, so if he calls you, calls Abraham to be the father of many nations, then there is glory that comes on that. There is a divine essence that comes upon that word that empowers that person to be what he called them to be. And in that, whenever something, anything on earth, functions as it was divinely designed to function, it gives off glory to God. It's true of the stars, it's true of the trees, it's true of the birds that fly, it's true of us as we, as we, as we walk in what God has called us to be as his children. We glorify him because his glory is in us. Sounds like something we could take at least a week to talk about. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to all this? All that that we just said. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a great attitude to have. God's for me. Who can be against me? Someplace, one of the translations says, who can succeed as our enemy? Doesn't mean nobody will stand up against you. Just means they're not going to have success at it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also along with him graciously, not graciously, sorry, let me go back. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He gave his son. What wouldn't he give? Who will bring any charge of accusation against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written for your sake? This is the world's view many times. For your sake, we face death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
in all these things, in all these things, in all these circumstances, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a great passage. That is a great passage. God is faithful. Whatever he has called you to be, whatever you are in his sight, and he's declared that in his word, you can be by grace through faith. You can draw on him because he's made all the preparation. He's made all the preparation already. All right, the last few minutes that we have, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning anyway about this idea of hope. Verse 18, back in Romans chapter 4, goes on and it says, For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. So numberless shall your descendants be. So we see here that Abraham, there was absolutely no natural reason for him to have hope that that word would come to pass. None. None at all. Like I said, there was even a lot of contradictory natural evidence that it couldn't happen, that it was impossible. So it says what Abraham did about that was he hoped in faith. It's really interesting. We really don't have time to dig into it much this morning, but this thing of hope and faith, it's like they have this synergistic relationship because uh, uh, you know, the, in Hebrews it tells us that hope becomes the, the foundation, the channel, uh, which, which faith becomes the substance of what we hope for. And I've always thought of that like a foundation you'd lay for concrete and then you pour the concrete, which would be faith, into it. It's like the foundation, the shape is given by hope. And then faith comes into that and makes it solid. It makes it something tangible. It's not just a picture anymore. Now it's something tangible, okay? And, and so... But at the same time, it says here, so to me, that, that picture, which is true, says that hope precedes faith. Because then it gives faith a track to run. It gives faith something to fill with reality. Okay, okay. But here it says that since there was no natural hope, Abraham made a choice to hope in faith. In other words, and, and here's, here's what, let's just, let me give you a, a couple of, all right, we always say it's true. Hope is the confident anticipation of good coming from God. That's the basic definition of biblical hope. It is a confident expectation or anticipation. In other words, we're expecting this to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but we're expecting it. We've got a picture of it. Picture of a promise fulfilled working in our hearts. I said earlier today, your hope or lack thereof is attached directly to the vision that's working in your heart. And the vision that's working in your heart is coming from what you're spending most of your time listening to and thinking about, okay? So you can have a hope for negative things. You can be confidently expecting your life to go down the tubes, okay? That's hope, it's just in the negative. Or you can be confidently expecting God to fulfill his word, and, and in either one of those cases, then what comes alongside that takes hold with it is there's 
faith that we've already talked about extensively as we spend time with God and we hear what he says, faith rises in our heart and it has that that picture, that vision, that anticipation in your heart. That's where it's directed. That gives it its compass heading. That gives it its vector. It launches it at something. And that's why Proverbs 29, 18 tells us that people who don't have a, a redemptive revelation of God working in their heart, that don't have vision, some of your translations say, the Amplified says, redemptive revelation of God, Proverbs 29, 18. If they don't have that, it says they perish. The word perish means they just run out like water in the streets. They just go every direction. There's no direction for their life until hope comes, okay? So bottom line what hope is, is a confident expectation that your future can and will be better than your past and your present. Okay, it's just a confident expectation based on God's word. Biblical hope, you can have natural hope. There is a natural hope, but it doesn't really have much substance to it. Natural hope, in fact, you can tell if you're working in natural hope because every time the circumstance looks bad, you're discouraged again. Okay, don't get condemned about it. Just go back to Jesus because there is a better hope than that. There again, I'm running out of time. We don't have time to, but look at First uh, Peter chapter one, verses, I think it's one through three. But anyway, it says there, I think in verse three, that we are born again into an ever living hope. And that that term ever living, it comes from a Greek word that means it's something that has a life of its own. We're born again into, when you came out of your mother's womb, you were born into this world. You were born into an environment. There was air and bright lights and Maybe not for everybody. Maybe you were in a bathtub. Okay, I get it. Something that you were born into this world, right? You came out into a whole different environment. Well, when we are born again spiritually, we give our life to Jesus. And he says we'd be born again. We are born into an environment of ever-living hope. It has a life of its own. And that Greek word there also speaks of a duration of life. It 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 goes past our lifespan. There is no place in our life where this hope isn't present. We may not be feeling it, but it isn't present. We're born again. It's the environment that God created for us, a spiritual hope, an eternal hope. And so that kind of hope, biblical hope, it's attached, and it it goes on there to say we're born again into an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not going to change, right? It is an unchanging hope. It is attached to something unchangeable. Well, all of God's promises are unchangeable. All, everything God has said is unchangeable. And so we can, I know we don't, but we can live in hope regardless of the circumstances around us. When we're focusing on him and we're, and we're allowing his word to produce hope in us, vision in us. When we can spend time with him, we can spend time in his word, and we can see that word coming to pass in our own hearts. That's a place where hope is birthed that is engaged with something eternal. And in fact, that hope and faith attached to it 
can draw the promise of God in for a future generation. It can, it can pull on a promise of God that'll be manifested to others when we don't, we die before we see it. But the fact that we lived with this and we lived in this and we declared it and we prayed over it, we incubated it, we gave it, we gave it that life, that vision can come, will come to pass whether it happens in our lifetime or not. And many times, I mean, I'm not saying it won't happen in your lifetime. I'm just saying this is a powerful truth. This hope and faith thing is a powerful, powerful truth. And it says here that, so, so hope like that, it can be focused on a specific situation or area of your life. And or it can be a hope that is simply an unexplainable hope that works in your life and it works in your heart below all the concerns you have and all the, you know, looking around and seeing the way things are and seeing what didn't work and whatever discouragement might, might come up. Abraham chose to live in that kind of hope. It says he hoped in faith. God said it. It's going to happen. I am going to, my hope is going to be birthed from my faith. And we can do the same thing. We, we've got to allow that hope. That hope can just reside. And, and that's why the scripture in the New Testament tells us, always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have. Why? Because it's nuts. Because, it, because your hope, other people are coming and they're saying, how can you have hope when all this is going on? Da, 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 da. It's like, oh no, it's, it's, here's why. Because Jesus. Because Jesus. Because of what Jesus did because of who God is, because of the testimonies I've heard, seen, and experienced, because of the word of God. I have hope working in my life, okay? And it, but it can be focused on a, on a very specific area in your life, a very specific promise, or it can just be, and we should all have this, just that general underlying hope. Even personally, and I'll wrap this up, even personally, I find, in fact, I didn't finish that sentence. Maybe I'll finish this one. I was going to say, I find that hope is at work when I can't even understand it in myself. When I'm looking around, I can't see anything going the right direction. I'll find that there's this, this hope in my heart, this spark. No, God's going to come through. Just wait. It never looks like God's promise is going to be fulfilled until it is. It always looks like we go along through life and it's like, oh, this just isn't how it is. And then one day it is. And it's here. It just works that way. After a while, you get kind of used to it. But, but it's like, I even find that when I'm believing God for something, I've got a vision in my heart. And when things not only don't look like it's going to happen, but when negative things happen, you know, pushing against, oh, it looks even worse today that's when that hope will like blaze up. And honestly, I'll sit there and look at myself and go, I, you know, where is this coming? I know where it's coming from, but you know, how, how can you have this hope? I have this hope, you know? And it's just because God is faithful and he's faithful. His, his spirit is there to just continually build this hope in you. It's the environment of the believer. And that hope that you hold in your heart, that hope that you 
strive for. And by that, I mean, you go to God and you ask him, breathe it into me again, Lord. I need that hope refresh and he'll do it. That hope is contagious for other people. That hope changes other people's lives. It draws, it draws people like flies. <laughs> draws people like the moth to the flame, whatever. Come up with a good one, you know. None of us are real fond of flies. Except our cat, he likes flies. Uh, so that hope in your life is one of the greatest testimonies that there is to people. Let's, let's pray together. Father, Lord, I, I just pray this morning, Lord, that this word that we hear this morning, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people in this room, and I believe people joining us online, that need a hope restored. And I'm just asking, Father, that by your spirit, you right now are restoring that hope in their hearts, that they can once again hope to see what, what you have spoken to them come to pass. And that, Father, that vision for what you have said burns bright in them again. And, Father, that any uh, place where that hope in them has become attached to circumstance and the circumstances don't look good and so hope gets eroded. God, I pray that instead it would be reconnected to your word. Just be detached from that circumstance because God, there's not a single circumstance that can stand up against you. There's not a single circumstance that any of us ever face that is not temporary. And so Lord, we declare it so. And we ask, we ask Build that hope again in our heart for whatever you are calling and ordaining us to be, to do, the influence you're calling us to have. Lord, we ask that you just continue to kindle and feed that hope in our hearts, that faith join with it and bring it to pass. And I thank you for that this morning, Lord. I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a clap this morning. I just, so good. All right, why don't we stand up and get ready to be released to the snacks. <laughs> like flies to the, no, it still doesn't work. All right, you guys go out there. You be the church. You are a blessed people going out to bless others, right? Let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. For listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.